Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, hello everyone. It is so great to be back with you. Sorry about Friday. I did not have a full voice box. I sounded, according to Cameron, like Demi Moore. (laughs) So um, I did not think that would be very good to try and podcast with my voice like that. But I am back in full flight today. Just before we get going on today's episode, I just want to give a big shout out and a huge thank you to the Buy Me A Coffee members, the all girls actually at this stage, who are supporting what I do here, you can also join by clicking on the link below, or it is also on my social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Thank you though. I appreciate Victoria, Chloe, and anonymous member, Kylie, Sophie, Louise, Marie, Pam, Christina, Renee, Rochelle, Adriana, Lola, Jasmine, Brittany, and a new member, Rachel. Guys, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you. As you know, I've got a goal of wanting to be able to actually podcast a whole day a week um, to dedicate a day to it. At the moment, I'm doing it in between at nights. Um, when I think of ideas, quickly grabbing my phone, writing them down, using my days off. I use my days off a lot. So I appreciate you ladies very much. Okay, today I want to talk about the, um, it's a bit of an oxymoron, the gentle art of verbal self-defense. So when we think of self-defense, we think of, you know, the ways that perhaps, uh, well, not just girls, but anyone is taught to defend and to protect themselves. And it's not usually gentle, right? Because we're trying to protect ourselves. It's usually quite aggressive. But when it comes to us defending our faith or our worldview or um, different things in society, our ideas, our ideologies, when it comes to defending those things, even just our opinions, um, I think we have tended to, particularly because of social media, to do it quite aggressively. But I want to advocate today that it is a an art to learn to do it gently. In fact, I think it's a must. Now, I got to practice this very thing last week. And as I share today, I'm going to wind through it what happened with me last week where I got to have a conversation with um, one of the the leadership at Ashton School around something, and I'll share as I go. But I want to pose six questions today that we can ask ourselves when it comes to, okay, if I'm defending a position, am I being gentle? And these are the six questions to ask myself. But what a time we're living in, right? Like everyone I talk to, refers to current days as crazy times. Like everyone's saying, this this is crazy times we're living in. And a huge contributor of these crazy times is definitely social media, where everyone is able to share their opinion on a public forum and share they do, right? Like there's also no doubt that what we're seeing happening in society is happening at an accelerated rate. Anyone that's been on this earth for more than a few decades can tell you that it's definitely happening at an accelerated rate. And I would say there's a moral decline happening at an accelerated rate. Now, while we 
have never heard the word tolerance more in our lives, right? I've never heard that word so much. Tolerance, inclusion, diversity. These are all like the buzzwords. We've never actually seen really so little of it. We're hearing it more. We're actually seeing it less. I don't listen to what people say. I kind of block my ears and I look at the actions. I look at what they do. That tells me if people are really displaying those attributes. Now, I've managed for the most part of the past few years to talk about some pretty seemingly taboo subjects here on the podcast. And I often get people saying to me, oh my gosh, you must tick people off. You must get so much opposition. But honestly, not really. Now, of course, there's going to be people out there who I don't know, who I've never met, who are not going to like my Christian worldview. And they're usually the ones that hop along and give a one-star review on my podcast. But when I see a one-star review, they don't really bother me in the sense of, I mean, I don't like it because it pulls your reviews down, but you have to really hate something or really dislike someone to give them a one-star. Like, it's pretty unreasonable because I'm like, if I want to give a podcast a one-star, why would I even listen to it, right? Because it's obviously something I highly disagree with. So there are obviously are times when I must tr- trigger some people and they go along and they give that that one star. When I first started, I would get some female young adults. It was always girls, um, young adults who would try and um, argue with me on certain things. But again, I can see why in hindsight, I know I knew who a lot of those girls were. They were trying to defend um, certain lifestyles of their own. And they didn't like the fact that I was challenging that, but really for the most part, um, I don't get a lot of that kind of thing at all, but considering how incredibly divided the world has become on almost every issue, I think I've managed fairly well. So that's what I want to talk about today. How can we hold a certain line, certain views, and as much as is possible, remain at peace with others? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do, right? Romans 12, 8, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now that scripture, you know, if we take that at faith, you know, for for what it is, It obviously is telling us not to get into arguments and to be peaceable with people as much as you can. But at the same time, there's some pretty far-reaching views in society right now that even have Christians squabbling among themselves in disagreement. So there's obviously a line here, right, between living at peace but still having to have a space where we can hold our truth. Because what if we are being fed a bunch of lies by the mainstream? Like, does being at peace with everyone mean ignoring those things so that we can live in peace? Now, often what is now seen in the mainstream as the right side of an issue to be on, according to scripture, it's actually the wrong side. So how do we deal with that? And what about when everyone is in lockstep with a lie? Like what then? How do we have conversations where we can remain gracious, but true to ourselves? I mean, one example would even be the abortion debate. You know, it's very clear in scripture 
And yet there are even Christians who, because of the mainstream way that it's presented, that it's a woman's rights, that it's it's compassion. And so a lot of people are falling for it because when society is in lockstep with a lie, unless you really are a thinker and you think critically, it's very easy to fall for these lies. So I get constant messages from you guys telling me that you've been listening to this podcast for ages, or maybe you've just discovered this podcast and you've been binging it and it's changed your life. And for many, it's helped you guys process your thinking and to shape your ideas around so many things. And so I'm really glad about that. And I want to continue to do that today. My aim is never to tell you what to think, but only to help you learn how to think. So that is what happened with me. I was able to put all of this into practice just last week when Ashton's school library and all of the socials as well were celebrating Pride Month because, as you know, we're in the month of June. Now, in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is the last time that I can make a difference in his school. He's my last kid. He's in year 12. I'm not going to have any kids in the school as of next year. And I just knew that I had to say something to get that taken down because it's one thing for adults to do what they want. Go do what you want. If you're an adult, knock yourself out. But it's a whole other thing when this is being pushed onto our children, because we have a responsibility towards our kids. So how did I have that conversation without looking like a lunatic? Uh, And so I want to share as I talk today, the conversation that I had that can help you to also have conversations where you can uh, learn the gentle art of these difficult conversations. So conversations with grace and truth is what I'm talking about. So here we go, six different questions that we can ask ourselves. And the first one I think we need is, what is the aim of my conversation? Now, when I say conversation, by the way, it could also be that there's something on social media and you want to leave a comment or it could be, you know, a podcast and you want to leave a review. So it doesn't just have to be a conversation. It can be any time that you're wanting to make your position known about something. So I think we need to ask ourselves, well, what is my aim? And this is really important because it helps us to remember that our conversation or our comments or making our position known, it always should have a purpose. If it's just to make your opinion known, pass on by, keep going, right? Is it somehow to help others? If that's the case, then keep going and you can continue, right? We definitely need people to stand up for the truth right now in order to help preserve society as we know it. So a lot of my conversations here on the podcast are to help people think, to ascertain areas in society where we just believe what we're told, but maybe that is not what's best for us. So I want people to learn to ask questions, to go deeper, to think about motives and to think about what's underlying a lot of what we're told. But our aim then should never be to attack. It should never be to to punish people. Um, Our aim should never be Um, even to try and force people to see our point of view. So when I went into the school this week or last week, my aim in having that conversation was really clear. I actively and openly wanted to protect the children of our school and I wanted the pride display to come down. Now, 
I'll tell you the end story right here. Literally within 10 minutes of my conversation, the deputy turned to me and she goes, I want you to know the whole pride stand is coming down. And it has, except for one flag. There's still one flag, but that's okay. Um, I could not believe I got this result so quickly. So I knew what my aim was. I was really clear. This is the second thing that we need to ask ourselves. So firstly, what's my aim? Secondly, is this my battle to fight? Okay. So you've got to work out which battles are yours and which battles are not yours. Now, the first question helps us to know that what's my aim, because knowing your aim, knowing your purpose will very quickly help you sort out whether you should even say something at all or not. Guys, we're not graced for every battle, right? Or for every conversation. We don't have to make our position known on absolutely everything. If you are that person that has to say something about everything, people will see you coming and will be like, I'm out of here. So I'm actually not this way inclined by nature. It is quite accidentally that I find myself in this space. And this podcast has definitely helped me to refine my thinking. And I and, and it's clearly helped thousands and thousands of you guys out there. And I also think we're finding ourselves in a time where culture is morally declining at a rapid rate, which is requiring more of us. But there are times when I would see things on social media and I'm like, that's not my battle to fight. I care about it. I don't agree with something, but I don't comment on everything. So the school that I used to work at in Adelaide, I remember it had these parents and I taught their daughter. And these parents were so annoying. They were like incessant complainers. They would always bring up every problem that they saw in the school, everything they didn't agree with. They would love to confront it. And I remember one day the wife said to me, oh, we do that on purpose because we have the gift of confronting and raising issues. And I remember thinking, well, firstly, I didn't know that that was a gift. And secondly, I don't like that gift. And I do not want to have that gift if it's a gift at all, because I'm telling you, the school would see them coming and think, oh Lord, what now? So we don't have to weigh in on everything. Do not comment on everything on social media. Save it for when it really counts. So when it came to my conversation at the school, I did feel that this was my fight to have, um, partly because obviously I'm an active parent in the school, but also because I understand this topic. And so I felt like, yeah, I could really have this conversation. There would be many other parents that would not know how to have it, but I know how to have it. So yes, this is my battle to fight. Number three, the third thing to ask yourself, can I do it face to face? Guys, it is never a good idea to have conversations over text or over social media. I will very rarely comment on things on social media because you you can't have a conversation on social media, right? I will also never text about an issue with someone. Now, I often do say on podcasts that I won't argue on socials and I don't. And that's because it is too easy to misinterpret one another over text or over a socials thread. Like some things should only be said face to face because people tend to be a little bit meaner on uh, text or socials than they would be in real life. It's like it just takes not having someone's face in front of you takes people's filter away. Now, recently I had someone leave a message on socials and 
they were leaving. It was big. You know, when people leave paragraphs and you just think, oh my gosh, seriously. But anyway, I took it into private DMs because I'm like, I don't want to have a big, long conversation on a social thread, but I don't know this person to do face-to-face because I'd prefer face-to-face, but let's take it into my DMs. Well, as soon as I did that, that person never replied. I could see that they'd saw it. It says seen, no reply. So they were happy to go back and forth in public, but not in a DM. That tells me a lot. That tells me everything. What they wanted was a public drama and I don't do public dramas. Face-to-face, you can work through a conversation to a greater depth and to a certain degree, even in DMs, but I don't even like DMs either because you can't read the person, right? You can't read their face. Texts don't have emotion. You can try with emojis, but texts don't sound compassionate. You can't read people's body language. So if you do make a comment on a socials page, never type something that you wouldn't say to that person face-to-face. This was my approach when it came to this conversation at school. So I initially emailed the school so that they wouldn't feel bombarded by me and not prepared. And I knew that if I did an initial email, they'd be able to gather their thoughts and then we could have a better face-to-face. So I used email firstly, and you know what? I thanked them. I thanked them for everything they've done for my son, how grateful I am for the school. And then I just gave them a few uh, of my thoughts and my concerns. I gave them a few facts. And then I told them, look, this is what I'm asking. And then within 10 minutes, I got got an email saying, hey, can you come in? And I'm like, absolutely. So that's number three. Can I do it face to face? Number four, have, this is a big one, ladies. Have I used emotion to manipulate? I shouldn't just say ladies, guys can do this too. Have I used, or am I using emotion to manipulate. The only emotion we should use is kindness. Now, emotion can be a powerful way to communicate. It can help people see our point of view, but using emotion to get someone to agree with you or worse, using emotion to get someone to punish you for not agreeing with you, that is not an effective way to communicate. That is not an effective way to defend your view. Now, people do this all the time. I remember last year, might've even been the year before, I did an episode on the HPV vaccine and why I did not consent to my kids having it. Now, in hindsight, not only do I still stand by that, but I am more resolute on that position than ever. Now, I had this mum who said she was a GP leave this comment that she was disappointed in me and would no longer listen. Now, using that whole word disappointment, I'm straight away, I'm like, whatever, that is manipulative. And it was used in order to punish me. Now that didn't move my position one little bit, rather than saying, Hey, thanks for your point of view. I listened to your episode, which I don't even think she did by the way. Um, because, uh, but I disagree because of A, B and C, right? She didn't say that her approach was, I'm going to tell you how I feel about you not the topic of HPV, but you. And then she went a step further with a threat. That just makes me switch off straight away. That does not move the needle when we do that. Like, don't listen if you don't want to. But emotional manipulation does not bridge gaps with people. All that's doing is it's a way to control people. So I had a person recently tell me that when she heard my episode on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament, that she nearly pulled her car over to cry. Now, my intent is not to make someone cry, right? But let's put this filter back on her. So when, how about I write back this? Well, actually, when I just read your message, 
that I nearly made you cry. That made me pull my car over and I cried. Like it's almost like then who's got the bigger emotion? These kinds of comments are meant to control people. Like this whole, you made me feel upset or angry or disappointed, therefore you must change. Really what was going on was she didn't like my point of view and she wanted me to change my point of view. So she used emotion to try and get her way. But using emotion like this is not effective because what's happening is you're not changing people's heart, you're modifying their behavior. And that is actually the lowest form of influence. So uh, basically then whoever cries the hardest gets their way. So the way that I approach this uh, conversation about the pride stand in the library is the only emotion that I used was one of gratitude when I first went in and I was really thankful to the deputy. But other than that, I did not use emotion at all. I didn't shout. I didn't rant. I didn't rave. I didn't get mad. I didn't get frustrated just because we disagreed. And I certainly did not use threats. I didn't say, well, if you don't take this down, I'm going to tell everyone that I know not to send their kids to the school. And you know, obviously we've got a lot of contacts. I didn't use any of that because emotion is not an effective way to move people on positions. Okay. Number five, am I up to number five? Yes. Okay. Number five, find your common ground with people. If my aim is to get people to think and to try and move the needle on their position on something, then I have to start with where we do align because you know what it does? It makes people put their guns back in their holster, so to speak. Like if I just come at you with opposition, you're just going to want to come back with me, at me with opposition, especially if you use emotion. But finding common ground is powerful. It lets them know, do you know what? I'm not against you. I'm with you. I'm on your side. Now that doesn't mean that you agree, but it does mean, hey, I think we all want the end goal here. I, I think the the um, the voice to parliament is an example of that. In fact, nearly everything I can think of is an example of this, where it's like we actually want the same the same end goal. Now that doesn't mean we're on the same side of the issue, but if we can find our common ground, then we get the fact that we're working together and not against each other. So with my convo at school, I found the common ground with the deputy, and that is. We all want what's best for the kids. I'm not the only one that wants what's best. They're not the only one that wants what's best. We both want what's best. When it comes to the Indigenous voice to parliament, we all want what is best for the Indigenous people of our nation. So if we can start with common ground, that is a really powerful thing to do. Even on the abortion issue, we want. it's really we're both coming from the same side of compassion for women. So if we can find the the common ground, then we realize we're on the same team. And so I wanted the deputy to know this, that I'm on her side. I'm on the school side. And I also was able to empathize and recognize that she was in a difficult position right now, that I understood parents were divided, that they've got to deal with this on the classroom level right through to taking kids on camps. And I understand it's not easy to navigate. So that's a really, really powerful thing to do. Number six, ask yourself, does this person share my worldview? So this is a powerful thing to do because don't expect people to share your worldview. Now, I've been podcasting long enough to really understand 
that the way that I've been able to move the issue on a, uh, the needle on a lot of issues is not actually with my worldview, because I know that many people who listen here don't share my Christian worldview, or even within the Christian worldview, there's a lot of different views, right? So I look at it like this, why should my worldview trump their worldview or vice versa? So for example, why would I expect people who are not religious to subscribe to the idea that sex outside of marriage is not a good idea? They don't subscribe to my worldview, therefore they have no reason to live their life according to the values and the standards that I hold. So when I had this conversation about the pride display in the library, I did not use my Christian beliefs. Now, I know that the deputy expected me to because she started off by saying, oh, I studied religion at university. So I thought, aha, straight away, she thinks I'm coming in here as a Christian parent. But I let her know, hey, I understand that this is not a Christian school. And so I don't expect you to subscribe to my Christian beliefs. In fact, I chose this school for that very reason, that I wanted my kids to be exposed to all sorts of different values and all different kinds of beliefs. If we expect people to respect our worldview, then we've got to respect their worldview as well. We just have to get much smarter. And that's just what I tried to do. So every time she tried to steer the conversation back towards um, our beliefs, like she kept mentioning Ashton's youth group, I kept steering the conversation away because I don't expect a non-Christian school to share the same Christian values that I have. And that was not my reason that I gave for wanting the display to come down. So this really made her listen. The fact that my reason for, you know, for wanting the display taken down was not because of my Christianity, because then it's like, well, if that's not the reason, then why? And this brings me to the sixth question that we should ask ourselves, and that is, can I present, therefore, logical ideas? So if I'm not going to use my belief system and I'm not using emotion, then what possible other reasons could I have for my views? Well, that leaves me with having to come up with logical, factual ideas. So I'll show you in a moment how I did this with this particular issue. But I got this idea quite a while back from um, a Sky News show host, actually, Andrew Bolt. You might know of him. And not he's not a Christian, by the way, but he told a pastor friend of mine that the Bible holds all of the values that actually make sense and make for a better society, right? So remember, this guy is not a Christian, but this is what he said. And he goes, so rather than like shoving the Bible at people who don't believe in the Bible, why don't you instead find the reasons why those values work better and present that? So he was saying like extract the wisdom out of the Bible and present that. And that advice never left me. And that's what I've been seeking to do really here on the podcast for the last few years. So if I believe that God has set out a design for us on how to live, then it's because that is what is best for us. That is how we will thrive most as individuals and as society. So what we need to do is find out why. Why is God's design best? Extract that wisdom and communicate that. And every time I have found 
that wisdom in the scriptures, and you do have to critically think about it, but when I present arguments in that light, it's always really well accepted. So for example, if God says in his word that he created sex for marriage, well, what effect therefore does it have on us for people to practice sex outside of marriage? And I've done a whole range of podcast episodes on that with Nikki Dent called The Sexual Gospel. So how did I do this with my conversation with the school? Because here is where the rubber really hit the road. Because if I'm not manipulating the deputy and I'm not demanding that she take it down because of my religious beliefs, then I had to come to her with a whole heap of other logical ideas, right? I had to find the wisdom in scripture and extract that and present that to her. So here is where I did a bunch of research and I knew my stuff and I was able to have a really good conversation with her. So here's some of the stuff that I told her, which by the way, I put on my personal Instagram and I know a lot of you snapshotted those things as well, just to help you out. But here's some of the things I told her. I said to her, pride is not actually a belief system. That is an ideology, right? Like I don't mind my kids learning about other people's belief systems. Like at school, they've learned about Ramadan. They've learned about um, different beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. But pride is an ideology that forces children to think about sexuality. And I talked about the rainbow. I'm like the color pink that we see in the latest progressive rainbow and in the original rainbow, that pink actually means sex. So you are getting children to think about that just by looking at the rainbow. That is not appropriate. And then I said to her, well, when we put this rainbow, you know, right in front of our primary school children and our teenagers who are still children, what is the message that we're trying to send? And of course, she knows exactly what the message is. It's to awaken them to the possibility of changing their gender. And so I really dove down there and we talked about how that is not a conversation that is up to the school, but it's a conversation that's up to the parents. We talked about how, you know, we're asking children to consider their gender and yet the majority of them return to their original gender by the time they're 18. Meanwhile, what kind of damage has been done? So we talked about the social embarrassment. Then we talked about potential physical damage, like I said to her, do you know what puberty blockers do? And she really didn't know a lot about it. So I said to her, well, you know, and I listed all of the things. Well, it gives children osteoporosis, uh, gives them high blood pressure, it irreversibly uh, makes changes to their voices, it can give them fertility issues. So then we went down the rabbit hole of the mental health um, stuff. Well, you know, we need to accommodate for mental health. And so we talked about that and I said, well, I understand because this is the very reason that we're offering this in the first place. And yet there is no long term data to suggest. In fact, the opposite is happening where data is coming through, where it is actually not having uh, a good effect on their mental health. We talked about how historically 0.01% of the population, um, and this is data collected from the last 100 years, have been the ones to suffer with genuine gender dysphoria. 
and it was mostly boys, but all of a sudden it's become teenage girls. So we talked about a social contagion. Um, then I talked to her about the hypersexualization of all of the pride literature. And I had snapshots of paragraphs from books that were sitting in the library as her and I spoke. I said to her, okay, you've got a book in the library right now called um, I Kissed Shara Shara Wheeler, I think it's called. And I read a part of it and it was, you know, we talked about how one girl pinned the other girl to the bed to kiss her. And if that were between a girl and a boy, what have we just been teaching our boys right now? Well, we've been teaching them about consent and how that behavior is not acceptable. And yet there's a book in our library right now where if the behavior is between two girls, is it now acceptable? So we just really had a lot of conversation around all of those kinds of aspects and not one of them related to my worldview or her worldview. Now, the good news is literally within 10 minutes, because remember, I'd already emailed her a bunch of stuff, right? Like I talked about how other countries are now banning gender affirming um interventions for under 18, right? That's been banned in Europe. It's been banned in several states in America, and it's been banned in the UK. And within 10 minutes, she said to me, I just want you to know that whole thing in the library and on social media, it's coming down. And I was so shocked at how easy it was and how quickly she said that to me. I literally had tears spring to my eyes and I was speechless. And I'm like, thank you, but not thank you for me. Thank you on behalf of the children. And so I, yeah, I just was really pleasantly surprised. So um, I'm going to finish off with a word on tolerance, but let me just quickly go through those six questions again that we should all ask ourselves before we present any idea or try and move anyone's position on anything, whether it be a you know full conversation or something that we're seeing on social media. So first of all, ask yourself, what is the aim of my conversation? Secondly, is this my battle to fight or do I pass this one over? Thirdly, can I do it face-to-face instead? Number four, am I using emotion to manipulate? Number five, can I find common ground between us? And number six, does this person share my world view? Okay, so, oh, and number seven, sorry, there were seven, <laughs> there were seven, can I present my ideas in a logical way? So I hope those questions have helped you um, next time you need to have a conversation about something. But I just want to finish off with a word on tolerance and truth. I am seeing a lot of people forego truth in the name of trying to be tolerant. But Jesus gave us the best example here where we can see that truth is not always comfortable, but it is always necessary. But the delivery is what is important. Now, this whole love is love is this very emotional uh, byline that's being thrown at us, but that is the world's version of love. We have to remember that we're coming from um, from God's version of love, God's perspective of love, and his is the ultimate. 
where he talks about love being obedience, love is sacrifice, love is discipline. Love can mean that we need to turn from who we are or what we're doing and go another way. And God's intention, Jesus' intention in the Bible is never to divide. And a good example here is the woman at the well where uh, Jesus knew that she had been in adultery and all of the, um, the other people had wanted to stone her because that was the punishment of the day. And Jesus is just brilliant in this scenario. He doesn't lecture anyone. He just simply poses a question, right? It's so powerful, by the way. I That's one thing I did do as well when I went into this conversation with the deputy. I actually asked her a lot of questions rather than me just spitting facts at her. I asked her what she knew. But Jesus asked a question and he said, hey, is anyone here without, without sin? Because who, whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. So yes, he was, I guess you could look at that as he was tolerant, he was loving, he was kind, but he also turned to her and said, now you go and sin no more. So love does not mean denying truth. Jesus held both in the same space. He was grace and he was truth. So we are being sold this gospel of tolerance by the world, and this is not the same as the real gospel of tolerance, which is God's gospel of tolerance, which is indeed to do what is most loving. And sometimes what is most loving is requiring people to turn from their path because the path that they are on is going to lead to destruction, even though they can't see it. And it is not loving to let people continue on a path that God's word tells us will lead to destruction. And so that was my aim with the conversation that I had with the deputy. I was so, so pleased um, because I could see that if this continued, it was going to lead down a, um, a destructive path for children. The other thing that I did too, which I would encourage everyone to do is make sure that you pray before you go into any of these conversations. So I prayed in the car the whole way down and I'm like, Lord, you know, let your love fill that room because I knew that I was light walking into darkness, but she wasn't the darkness. The school's not the darkness. The ideology is the darkness. What the enemy is doing to children is the darkness. So I knew that my fight was not with her. Remember, our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's with the darkness and the the principalities um, of this world and of this age. And so I prayed the whole way there, Lord, as I walk in there, I know that I am going to be light today, but help me to show love. And I thank you that as I do that, that you will expel the darkness, expose and expel. And that is exactly what happened. So I want to encourage you, go back, have a look at those questions again, have a listen, jot them down, but just ask yourself those things, work out which are your battles to fight, but never do it in a way that leaves a bad taste in people's mouth or that leaves them feeling like there's a division between you um, because that's not God's way. And so I think we can still hold to that scripture about being at peace with people. It doesn't mean we have to um, you know, not say what the truth is. We can do both. And I think my conversation with the deputy was really good proof of that. So I hope that's helped you. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for your patience with me last week too, missing an episode. Um, Have the most wonderful week and I look forward to being with everyone on Friday for Parenthood Friday. Until then, have a good one. Bye.